Our sermon series continues of an ancient modern family discovering and retelling the stories from the early church as told to us in the book from the Acts of the Apostles. Today's passage is not in the common lectionary, that collection of readings prescribed for worship to follow the Hebrew scriptures, the Psalm, and something from the New Testament. I doubt that you may have ever heard this story in worship, and unless you are a student opening the Acts of the Apostles to read, you may not know this story at all. Let me set it in context and remind you of the broad arc for all of the narratives. The book of Acts was written as the second volume by the evangelist Luke for his benefactor, a man by the name of Theophilus, to set, I quote, an orderly account of the details of Jesus' life and the birth of the early church. This orderly account is filled with verifiable evidence and details of the truth. And much of what we read in both Luke and Acts is to be interpreted against the purpose and mission of Jesus' ministry, which Jesus proclaimed early in the book of Luke, and I quote, to restore sight to the blind and to bring release to the captives. So with that as a backdrop, listen to this story. It's so thorough, it reads almost like a screenplay, but you can let your imagination fill in the faces and images you can hear the sounds and the voices. Let the Holy Spirit inspire you as I read from Acts chapter 12. About that time, King Herod laid violent hands upon some who belonged to the church. He had James, the brother of John, killed by the sword. After he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the festival of the unleavened bread. When he seized him, he put him in prison and handed him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending to bring him out to the people after the Passover. While Peter was kept in prison, the church prayed fervently to God. The very night before Herod was going to bring him out, Peter, bound in two chains, was sleeping between two soldiers while guards in the front of the door were keeping watch over the prison. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He tapped Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly, and the chains fell off his wrists. And the angel said to him, Fasten your belt, put on your sandals, and he did so. And then he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. Peter went out and followed him. He did not realize that what was really happening with the angel's help was real. He thought he was seeing a vision. After they'd passed the first and the second guard, they came before the iron gate leading to the city, and it opened for them of its own accord. And they went outside and walked along a lane when suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I am sure it is the Lord that sent this angel to rescue me from the hands of Herod and from all the Jewish people that were expecting. As soon as he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many had gathered and were praying. He knocked at the outer gate, and a maid named Rhoda came to answer. On recognizing Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that instead of opening the gate, she ran in and announced that Peter was standing at the gate. And they said to her, you're out of your mind. But she insisted that it was so. They said, it's his angel. Meanwhile, Peter continued knocking. And when they finally opened the gate, they saw it was him, and they were amazed. He motioned to them with his hand to be silent, and he described for them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And he added to tell this to James and to all the believers, and then he went 
to another place. Here ends our reading. Please pray with me. God, by your Holy Spirit, inspire us with these words, inspire us with your scripture, and inspire us to believe always that you are with us in all of our times of trial and all of our times of suffering and of joy. Let us to believe. We pray this through Jesus Christ. Amen. It's quite a story. Could you imagine it in your mind's eye? Unlike some of the more ethereal or obtuse passages in scripture, you can easily put in colors and scenes and actors and characters. That's what I did when I read it so many times. It reminded me of the movie Prairie Home Companion with Garrison Keillor and Meryl Streep and Tommy Lee Jones. It was not a box office blockbuster, but it was a wonderfully crafted movie in which one of the characters is a woman dressed in a white trench coat, and you see her hovering in the shadows of a theater and out in the alleyways. This woman plays the part of an angel. So this was the angel in my mind's eye that was rescuing Peter. Until yesterday when I read the scripture passage again and I found that the angel had a masculine pronoun, so it was a he, and perhaps this was more like Peter Falk in a dirty gray trench coat like he played in Columbo. So was this story real or was it fantasy? Why don't we read this in the lectionary and why was it not part of academic research until of late? In the mind of the theologians and the church fathers who crafted the lectionary, setting the stage for what we read and worship, this was just an idle tale. During the modern period, scholars considered the story of Peter's imprisonment and subsequent escape quite incidental and, in fact, an interruption to Luke's narrative of the birth of the church. Scholar I.H. Marshall comments, I quote, at first sight of the story, it's unnecessary to the developing theme of the expansion of the church, and had it been omitted, we should not have noticed the loss. The author of Luke Acts is considered one of the most gifted writers in the entire canon. His craft in poetry and prose and narrative structure and nuanced skill in Koine Greek is unparalleled by any other writer. So could this writer have thought that maybe we just needed an interlude to amongst all of the tension and chaos? Perhaps we just need something like that, particularly if conveyed in the form of comic relief. It's a bizarre story peppered with unusual details. Before the Passover, Peter is imprisoned. And this is the second time Peter is imprisoned. But this time he's able to escape two chains, 16 soldiers, iron gates, and pass through the walls of a city but yet he cannot enter the door to his friend's home and is left standing out on the street corner. Perhaps this idle tale was inserted in, into this lection to be consistent with other tales of prison escape that were common in Hellenistic writing of the same period. Often at that time in the first century, you would read of heroes who were imprisoned, doomed to death, and yet found release through some divine or superhuman powers. The writer of Luke might have thought that he was just going to capitalize on this popular literature and craft an escape to steer the reader towards believing that it's God who's able to craft our, redeem, our redemption. And yet the story that we just read is bookended with the disciple James's death and concludes just a few verses later that we didn't include with Herod's death as well. These two events are substantiated in other historical writing. So just where did Luke get this story? We enjoy a good tale, 
but in reading scripture, we also bring our hearts and minds to wonder at the richness and the layered meanings of these stories that they have for us. And we're also far too skeptical to be told what they mean when we can bring our own mind to consider that for ourselves. Now, some will attribute an observation to Mark Twain. This observation goes, history does not repeat itself, but history continually rhymes. History doesn't repeat, it echoes and it rhymes, and in the long arc, these reverberations tell us a truth. And this particular event echoes the earliest Israelite stories in scripture. Peter was imprisoned during the festival of the unleavened bread. And this festival celebrates a long-remembered story of the Israelites' escape from Egyptian slavery and Pharaoh's bondage as told to us in the book of Exodus. We teach this story to our children and we hear it with some frequency in worship. The Israelites had been enslaved by Pharaoh, but by God's power, Pharaoh was forced to let the people go. They were then able to flee in the dark of night with soldiers in hot pursuit, pass through the Red Sea, narrowly escaping death before the sea swallowed all of those soldiers. And if you don't remember it from your childhood or from worship, it's forever seared in memory with Charlton Heston in the movie, The Ten Commandments. History does rhyme, and our faith story rhymes over and over again. The underdog can win. It was David that slew Goliath. Life can spring from unlikely sources. Sarah gave birth to Isaac when she was over 90 years old. The righteous will triumph. Daniel survived the lion's den. Hebrew scriptures offers these stories and many more who were unjustly imprisoned or bound to a particular position in life, and yet, by God's power, were set free. Through these memories of God redeeming and bringing new life out of sorrow or famine or imprisonment, our faith tradition not only remains intact, but with each story it grows stronger. History also rhymes in that the oppressors eventually lose. Pharaoh and the Egyptians lost everything and all of those who bore the name and title of Herod suffered eventual defeat. The faithful told and retold these stories through the ages to remember God's covenantal care endures over and beyond the cruelties that humans can conceive. These stories are a flesh and blood people who persevere. You see, we don't believe in platitudes, they don't persuade us, but when we witness the truth through the lives of those around us and those before us, that's when we come to believe. You may have seen last week in the front page of the New York Times an obituary for a man by the name of Edward Thomas. It was newsworthy, I didn't know anything about Edward Thomas and I guess that's probably why the Times put it on the front page. When Thomas, an African American, joined the Houston Police Department in 1948, he could not report for work by entering the front door of police headquarters. Edward Thomas was only allowed to arrest black people. If he apprehended white suspects, he could merely detain them until a white officer was dispatched to make the arrest. He patrolled his beat, a wide swaths of largely black neighborhoods, twice a day, alone and on foot. The department long refused to issue him a squad car. Houston Police Chief Charles A. McClellan says, the very first time Thomas was given permission to drive a squad car, when the sergeant gave him the keys, his instructions were, you better make sure you don't wreck it, but if you do, and he referred to him by the N-word, 
You better pin your badge to the seat and don't come back. Yet in 2011, when Officer Thomas retired with the rank of senior police officer, McClellan claims he was, I quote, the most revered and respected officer within the Houston Police Department, and the police headquarters housing all of the officers now bears his name. In 1948, before civil rights legislation at the height of Jim Crow laws, had someone told Thomas or anyone else that he would be an agent among others with the courage to release us from the bonds of racism, that the police headquarters would be renamed to honor an African American, and that God's power would change us for the better. If anyone had been told this, they would have just dismissed it as yet another idle tale. We need to read and know these stories of people who represent the evidence of God's goodwill continuing to be fulfilled in our world today, that God's covenant of bringing all of creation to a place to flourish is real. There was one brief line in our scripture reading today that may have gone unnoticed as Peter's imprisonment and escape was filled with such graphic detail, and it was a surprise to the rest of the story, so we may have just not heard this too well. But we were told that while Peter was kept in prison, the church prayed fervently for God, to God for him. Against Roman soldiers in prison, the church clung to their remembrance of God's care through the ages, of Jesus' ministry and the promise of the Holy Spirit. With this confidence, they appealed to a power they believed that was greater than anything Herod could muster. They knew that many had already died and that many more would die for the sake of the gospel, but they still prayed they still prayed. And they prayed as a whole church for Peter and for the fledgling Christian movement to survive. The writer of Acts presents Peter's escape as a decisive statement of the power of work in the world, a power capable of removing obstacles for the church. And this story of deliverance is one of the many in Acts, and it rhymes with the stories told in the long arc of God's redemption. Prayer remains powerful in our own lives yet today. In prayer, we have the ability to freely speak to God, to lay out our weaknesses and our faults, to really cry out in pain when it hurts and when we're afraid. Prayer is the one time we can let down our defenses and open our hearts to confess that which is most precious and dear to us. What we truly want and need in life is beyond our own ability to create or attain. That's when we turn to God. Author Kathleen Norris observes, I quote, prayer stumbles over our modern self-consciousness and self-reliance, a remarkably ingenious belief that our ability to set goals and attain them as quickly as possible. And that's what prayer, that's when we turn to prayer. We want what we want and that's why we pray, but yet we sometimes don't get it. She concludes by offering the prayer that she thinks is the best advice of all, which is from Psalm 46. Be still and know that I am God. Prayer humbles us. Prayer reminds us that God is God's sovereign creator and redeemer, loving us before life and beyond the horizon of death. God is God and we are not. And through the intimate conversation with God, our prayers bring us closer to God and further from what the world tells us about ourselves and our future. Our prayer brings us closer to God. Prayers for Peter's deliverance were answered this time. 
but we also know that prayer is not always answered in the way or the time in which we would like. In the early church, the, the prayer God answered was for the good news to spread and to dwell in the hearts of believers then and now, even if those who carried the word were not always spared. We know that Peter is eventually executed by the same Roman authorities for his witness, but the word lived on in James and all of those believers. We need to retell the story of Peter's escape and of Edward Thomas's redemption to remind us of the long arc of the release from captive does prevail, because too often there are tragic events that occur. This past week, another beheading by ISIS made the news. An 83-year-old scholar of antiquities, Khalid al-Assad, who was imprisoned and tortured for information and was then publicly executed. He was worldwide respected for his knowledge and reverence for the hidden treasures, treasures of Syria. Assad died protecting the history and artifacts that tell the story of a faith and that oppose the lies of ISIS. The Herods and the Hitlers and the ISIS of the world will not triumph but tragically, there are more pious disciples and Dietrich Bonhoeffer's and Khalid Assad's who die as we seek to restore the justice and freedom that God wants for us. Jesus did not say our lives would be free from suffering. Instead, he suffered the cross and death. But Jesus professed in his ministry and reveals in his resurrection, the powers of this world do not have the final answer. God does. The story of Peter's escape rhymes with the story that defines the core of our faith tradition. Peter was imprisoned during the Passover just as Jesus was taken during the Passover meal. Peter was thrown into darkness just as Jesus' death was ultimate darkness. And Peter escaped in ways that we can't believe, and a stone was rolled away from the tomb. Jesus was raised. In Luke's Gospel, when women were the first to learn of Jesus' resurrection, they shared the good news with the disciples who had hidden themselves away. And these women were accused of just telling an idle tale. And in the Acts of the Apostles, when Peter escaped, the group gathered at Mary's house, feared the worst news, and declared that Rhoda was out of her mind when she announced that he was free and standing outside. Even those who had prayed for Peter's release could not believe it was true. These tales told throughout history of the righteous escaping prison, the underdog winning and the outcasts becoming blessed, added together, reveal it is not an idle tale to believe in God's love. The early Christians risked their lives to tell a story with their lives of God's love for a people that would not be snuffed out. This idle tale is what guides our living, and it's this idle tale that gives us courage to live boldly. As we move into a moment of silent reflection, I ask you to please pray with me. God, we hear of your power to release the chains that bound Peter. We hear again and again of your power to heal the broken places in our world. We lay before you now the ways that we are bound and ask that you will help us to trust that we may be released and that we too may proclaim your good news. Dear God, we ask that you guide us with your stand, steady hand in all of our life. Amen.